listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had such a dream that my spirit is troubled by the desire to understand it. The Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will reveal the interpretation. The king answered the Chaldeans, This is a public decree. If you do not tell me both the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you do tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time, Let the king first tell his servants the dream, then we can give its interpretation. The king answered, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see I have firmly decreed, if you do not tell me the dream, there is but one verdict for you. You have agreed to speak lying and misleading words to me until things take a turn. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me the interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king, There is no one on earth who can reveal what the king demands. In fact, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king is asking is too difficult, and no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals." Because of this, the king flew into a violent rage and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. The decree was issued, and the wise men were about to be executed, and they looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king's chief executioner, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the royal official, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time, and he would tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon, might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. And thank you for that reading, Julie. I know my mic was cutting out a bit last week. How is it this week, guys, up in the sound room? Is it better? Worse? Same? Good? I'm seeing nods and thumbs up. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Sounds better. Sounds better to me. We are in the second week uh, of our new teaching series, Faith in Exile, where we are looking at the book of Daniel. Uh, If you missed last week's sermon, I would highly recommend going back and checking that out on our website. There's a lot of 
uh, important background stuff that we covered that we're not really going to get into uh, today. So maybe sometime later this week, uh, go to brockportfirstbaptist.org slash sermons, and you can catch what you missed. Before we get into it for today, though, um, just a couple of reminders real quick. Uh, First, if you go to the online worship page of our website where you can download the order of worship uh, for this service, uh, you're going to see that order of worship also includes the going deeper questions. Those are the reflection questions that we put in the bulletin every week to help you kind of um, continue this teaching through the week and delve a bit deeper into uh, what we're talking about here. So that is there on the online worship page. Also, if you have any questions about uh, the things that are covered in this sermon, anything you want to hear me speak a little bit more to, uh, please send those in for our virtual sermon talkbacks. We released our first virtual sermon talkback of the new year last week where I tackled some of your questions about Daniel chapter 1. Fantastic questions. Big thanks to everyone who uh, sent those in. Keep them coming. Uh, If you have any questions at all, you can email them to the church, brockportfirstbaptist at gmail.com. You're probably going to want to have um, a Bible handy, either on your phone or hard copy for this sermon. Um, We're going to be spending a lot of time in the text. Basically, the way the book of Daniel works, you get these, like, absurdly long chapters that each focus on a single story. So it's really hard to, like, divide it up into, like, smaller, more digestible chunks. You kind of have to, like, take it all in like drinking from a fire hose, Um, but we are going to be doing a lot of reading today, so you might want to have a Bible handy for that. Uh, Julie did a really nice job setting things up for us. She read the first chunk of this chapter, the first scene or two. I'm not going to reread that, but I do want to highlight some things. There's a lot of good things in here. Um, That line about like... um, you know, uh, the gods don't live among men. God doesn't live here. That's, that's interesting. That could be a whole sermon. Um, but this chapter opens with King Nebuchadnezzar having a really bad dream. We met Nebuchadnezzar in the last chapter. Uh, he's the king of Babylon, conqueror of the world at this point. Uh, he's the one who laid siege to Jerusalem. He's going to destroy the temple. He carried Daniel and his friends off into exile. So like all around bad guy. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a really bad dream. He can't sleep because of this nightmare. So he calls in all of his wise men, the sorcerers, the magicians, to try to interpret this dream for him, but there is a catch. He's not going to tell them the dream. He wants to know what they're saying is accurate, that it really comes from the gods, so he wants them to tell him the details of his dream and the interpretation. And if they can't do it, he's going to kill them. Now, it's at this point, if you've been, like, following along in the story, you should get worried. (laughs) Because who, who do we know? Who did we meet last week? who is an interpreter of dreams and one of the king's wise men? Who, who did we meet in the book of Daniel? Daniel, right? He is an interpreter of dreams and a wise man. He's about to be executed. Our main character is about to die, which would make this a very short book. But Daniel's quick on his feet. Um, he asks the king's executioner for more time, which is very polite of the executioner. <laughs> um, And Daniel asks his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these fellow exiles, to join him in prayer all night. And then sure enough, that night he has a vision from God revealing the interpretation of the dream. 
Now, we don't actually get to see this vision. We don't get like a scene where an angel shows up and is like, all right, man, here's the deal. Like, there's nothing like that. Instead, we get a song. Turns out that the book of Daniel is a musical. Daniel breaks into singing almost like Bollywood style. It's like West Side Story or something like that, praising God for revealing the meaning of this dream. That's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 20. This is the musical number. Should I sing it? Uh, That'd be bad. I'm not going to sing it. I I don't want to torture anybody. All right, verse 20. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. God changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God reveals the deep and hidden things. God knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power and have now revealed to me what we ask of you for you have revealed to us what the king ordered. Good song, catchy little musical number. Um, in this song, Daniel's basically praising God for like doing everything, right? That's kind of the scope of this song. God has all wisdom, God has all power, God has revealed the dream, God sets the season, God deposes kings and sets up kings, verse 21. That's a really important little bit. File that away for when we get to the uh, interpretation of dreams. Daniel's God is a God who raises kings up and brings them down. That's important. But let's continue with the story. Let's actually get to this dream. Verse 24, and again, this is a lot of reading, so follow along. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, but bring me in before the king, and I will give the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who can tell the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, because remember, Daniel and his friends were all given new names as part of their assimilation to Babylonian culture. King says, Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show to the king the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these. Verse 31. You were looking, O king, and lo, there was a great statue. This statue was huge, its brilliance extraordinary. It was standing before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the statue was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked on, a stone was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. 
Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all these precious metals, were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Interesting dream. Here's the interpretation, verse 36. This was the dream, now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power, the might and the glory, into whose hand he has given human beings, wherever they live, the wild animals of the field, the birds of the air, and whom he has established as ruler over them all, you, O king, are the head of gold. After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule the whole earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, just as iron crushes and smashes everything, it shall crush and shatter all of these. As you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but some of the strength of iron shall be in it, as you saw the iron mixed with clay." And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. It shall crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain, not by hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has informed the king what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain and its interpretation trustworthy. Now we're going to get into all that, but let's finish the story. A little bit left. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, worshipped Daniel, which must have been awkward, and commanded that a grain offering and incense be offered to him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. It's a cool story, right? Like, it's a a good story. You've You've got action, you've got intrigue, you've got visions, dreams, attempted mass executions. What more could you want from an Old Testament story? Uh, It's a happy ending, right? Daniel gets promoted. He gets cushy jobs for his friends. The story ends with Nebuchadnezzar praising God. It's a pretty good story. But what I want to do is I want to hit pause for just a second because there was a lot there. And I want to talk about this dream for a minute, just to make sure we're all following along with the bulk of this story, this weird dream. Uh, If you're anything like me, the first time you read this, your head's probably spinning a little bit right now. It's like, what's going on? There's There's a statue that's part gold and part bronze, and it's got clay toes. Like, what the what? Let's talk about this. And it's actually a lot easier to process all of this information if we visualize it. So we've got a picture that we're gonna put on the screen. This is basically what the statue from Nebuchadnezzar's dream might have looked like. This is, this is a, it would have looked something like this. 
It's a big statue. It's got four parts made of four different materials. The head is made out of gold. The chest is silver. The thighs are bronze. The legs are iron, and then it might be hard to see, depending on the size of your screen, but right at the feet, you've got this kind of amalgamation, this mixture of iron and clay. This is the statue, and then there's this rock that comes out of nowhere, this rock of heaven. Not that rock. It's a different rock. There we go. That's better. This rock of heaven that comes out of nowhere, smashes the statue to pieces, and then the rock gets bigger and bigger. It like grows into a mountain until it covers the whole earth. It's a pretty weird dream. Like, I don't know about you, but like my dreams are usually I'm back in high school and there's a test I forgot to study for and like my mom's there, but she's the teacher for some reason. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, kind of standard, normal dreams. This is, this is different. This is a strange one. But Daniel interprets this dream about this four-part statue, and the interpretation is actually pretty straightforward. He says the four parts of the statue represent four kingdoms, four empires. Babylon is one of them, the head of gold. Then there's another, not quite as good as Babylon, just like silver is not quite as good as gold. Then there's a third kingdom of bronze, fourth kingdom that's this weird mixture, and that's the statue, four kingdoms. Then this rock that shows up and smashes the statue to pieces, that's supposed to be the kingdom of God, which is a pretty important concept for Christians, right? Like every week we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom shows up, smashes the statue to pieces, and then grows and grows until it fills the whole earth. That's the dream. Now, this passage, this dream, is super popular among, like, the doomsday prophets, those, those like, fringy, cultic preachers who, like, obsess over the end of the world and try to actually predict when it's going to happen. They love this stuff. They eat this up. Daniel, too, they're, like, all about it. They would use a passage like this to probably try to, like, calculate when the world is actually going to end. Pro tip, if you want to start a cult, probably a bad idea, but Daniel, too, might be a good place to start. Um, I digress, though. Don't, don't, don't do that. I'm not advocating. Just on my mind. It is, though, it's kind of awkward to try to forecast the end of the world based on this particular dream, because there have been a lot more than four kingdoms since the time of Babylon. Um, I saw one interpretation online, someone trying to, like, stretch out the timeline by making every toe a different kingdom. So, like, the big toe was, like, Napoleon, France, and one toe was Nazi Germany, one was colonial England, you know, stretching the timeline so it still works. Um, I remember this one Bible study I went to in college where they were going through the book of Daniel, and the teacher, the, the guy who was leading this Bible study, he tried to interpret this dream by, like, spacing out the empires. So, like, Babylon was the head of gold, I think the silver was Rome, the thighs were communist Russia for some reason, that's like a really big gap, um, and then like the, the, the feet of like metal and clay were America, which meant like the, the end was coming any day now. And I remember this was like the early 2000s, mid-2000s, I was like 19, 20 years old, uh, no job, no responsibilities. I thought I knew everything about everything. And, and America was in this weird phase at the time where we kept invading other countries. 
So I remember at the time I was like, that sounds good to me. Let's, let's bring on the end of the world. Now I'm an adult though, and like I have kids I wanna see grow up. I've got a job that I like and a community I care about. The end of the world has kind of lost its allure to me. Plus we got a glimpse, what, like 10 days ago of what the downfall of America could look like. Not very good news for anybody, I don't think. So what the heck is going on in this dream? For starters, first thing to know about this dream is that this passage is not talking about the end of the world as we understand it. This is not some kind of doomsday prophecy. That interpretation, which uh, views this as strictly like an end of the world sort of thing, is based on one little phrase in verse 28. Um, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. This is not a very good translation of the end of this verse here, the end of days. Um, The Aramaic here means something closer to the coming days or the days to come. You can go ahead one or two slides, Gary. There we go. Um, It means something more like the days to come. This is a rare instance where the NIV, the New International Version, is actually more accurate than the NRSV, the, the Bibles that we use here at church. Our Bibles follow the King James version, which renders this the latter days, which, you know, is not quite right. Um, By the way, if you ever find yourself on, like, a Bible translation team for some reason, and somebody is like, hey, should we follow the King James here, or should we go with the original language? Go with the original language. Sorry, pet peeve. I just had to say that. But Daniel's not talking about the end of the world. That's not exactly what's, what's happening here. He's talking about the coming days, the days to come, something a, a lot closer to his actual vantage point. He's pointing to a series of kingdoms that are going to rise up in the wake of Babylon only to be confronted by the kingdom of God. Now, Bible scholars and historians have different ways to kind of interpret this and break this up. There's not like one right way to do it. But if you consider this text in light of the rest of the Bible, if you kind of like read ahead, especially to like the New Testament where this guy named Jesus shows up and actually announces the arrival of God's kingdom, there is a pretty clear succession of empires that fits this quite nicely. Let's go to the next slide. We'll break this down a little bit. You've got Babylon, which is the head of gold. Daniel tells us that much, right? You, O king, are the head of gold. Babylon's the king that defeated Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, exiled the people. Then you get Persia. That's the empire that rises up in the wake of Babylon. The Persians brought the exile to an end. They, uh, they let the Jewish exiles return home. You read about that uh, the end of Second Chronicles, books like Ezra and Nehemiah all kind of tell that story. Then after Persia, there was this guy named Alexander who was really great. Alexander the Great. Yeah, Jeremy got it. Um, <laughs> Alexander the Great, um, who conquered the world to spread Greek culture. So Greece sounds an awful lot like that third kingdom of bronze. And then you get Rome, 
Steel mixed with clay, an absolutely brutal empire that fell apart from within. And who shows up on the scene when the Romans are in power declaring that God's kingdom has arrived? The kingdom of God is among you. God's kingdom looks like this. That's Jesus, right? The herald of God's kingdom, the stone the builders rejected who became the chief cornerstone. Clear parallels with this passage. Daniel is talking about the coming of the Messiah. This is a prophetic text. This dream is about a king, a rock not cut by human hands, that's going to clash with the succession of empires and establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. During Advent, we did this series on uh, the names of the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9, and we talked about how a lot of times when we come across these prophetic texts in the Bible, um, they often aren't predicting anything. Uh, It's more like the early Jesus followers saw what they saw in Jesus, and then they returned to their Bibles, to the Old Testament, and they saw things they never noticed before. That's how these prophetic texts usually work, but not this one. This one's predictive. This is an actual forecast about the coming kingdom of God written a couple centuries before Jesus that he actually showed up and fulfilled, which is pretty cool. But what are we supposed to do with it? Like, what's the takeaway here? If we, if we aren't supposed to use this passage to, like, predict the end of the world for our cult, um, what do we do with it? I mean, it's kind of neat, right? It, it, all this history, the way Jesus lines up, like, that's, that's very interesting. But so what? What difference does that actually make today? Is this just going to be another, like, go out and build the kingdom quite, uh, type sermon? So, like, like uh, Jesus did it. The rock is here. So, go out and build the kingdom. We could do that. We go that direction. I've preached that sermon before, but I actually think there's more to the story here. Remember the context of this passage. Daniel's a refugee living in Babylon. He's talking to a king king who is paranoid and drunk on his own power. Nebuchadnezzar wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and people die. That's a lot of power. But Daniel steps into the king's court and he delivers a prophetic word. He testifies to a power that is way bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. The God who reveals mysteries, who interprets dreams, who rises up kings and knocks them down, who deposes kings and sets them up. Remember that line from the musical number a few minutes ago? And then by the end of this story, Nebuchadnezzar is actually praising Daniel's God. This is a story about the power of God. God does everything in this story. Like, you could reread it sometime later this week. God's the primary actor here. He's doing everything. Daniel doesn't figure out what the dream was about. God tells Daniel what the dream was about. Daniel doesn't then make his own interpretation. God tells Daniel the interpretation because God sent the dream in the first place. Over and over again in the book of Daniel, 
we keep getting reminded that God is in control. Next week, this same king is going to throw Daniel's three friends into an oven, which would normally be a death sentence, but it's not because God is in control. Then a few chapters later, there's going to be a different king who's going to throw Daniel into a lion's den, but God saves him because God is in control. Even the opening lines of this book, when when the storyteller tells us about the exile, sets up the story, we're reminded that God is in control. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into Babylon's power. Babylon didn't conquer Jerusalem on its own accord. God gave Jerusalem to Babylon because God is in control. It's not very often that we talk about God being in control, being like a good thing, right? These conversations usually tend to lead into this like fatalism where like nothing we do makes a difference and we have no free will, right? God is in control, so nothing we do matters. God is in control, so whatever terrible tragedies occur, that must be God's will. God is in control, so whatever injustice, whatever unrighteous rulers are in power, God must have put them there because God's in control. Hear me on this. That is not how the power of God works in the book of Daniel. Put this next slide up on the screen, Morgan, full screen, because this is important. In the book of Daniel, God's power does not affirm worldly power and invalidate our actions. It relativizes worldly power and activates us for ministry. I want to say that again. God's power doesn't affirm worldly power and invalidate our actions. It relativizes worldly power and activates us ministry. I think a lot of Christians have forgotten about the power of God. We're too distracted by the statue, the obstacle that's staring us in the face, that we miss the rock of heaven, God's kingdom, which was inaugurated by the death and resurrection of Christ. How many of us need to be reminded right now that God is in control? Not in some, like, fatalistic way where nothing we do matters, but in a Daniel sort of way where everything we do matters. God is in control, so your actions do matter. God is in control, so your prayers do make a difference. God is in control, so injustice will not have the final word. God is in control. Even when there's chaos and violence in the streets, you look out at the world and you don't recognize it anymore, God is in control. When the diagnosis isn't what you were hoping for, or you're passed over for the big promotion, God is in control control. When the marriage can't be saved or the family business goes under, God is in control. Even in our darkest times, 
when tragedy hits, when the temple lies in ruins and you are far away from home, God is in control. The story isn't over. This isn't the end. Evil won't have the final word. Empires are reduced to dust, which means that our actions for hope and justice and truth actually matter because God is in control. Christ is king. His kingdom is among us, and it's not going anywhere. The rock of heaven has come. We have nothing to fear. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending the rock of heaven. Thank you for sending your son, a rock not cut by human hands, who invites us to live in your kingdom and participate in your mission of reconciling the world. God, we confess that it's hard sometimes to focus on Christ because the statues in our midst, the idols, the empires, the violence of our world is just too distracting. So God, redirect our gaze. Focus us on your kingdom, the rock that has come to set us free. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.